Well, welcome to today's launch of the second edition of the Smart Centers Index. Uh, we're delighted to see uh, such a large number of you join us this morning and the uh, week leading up to Christmas um, to learn a bit more about our research into uh, economic centers um, and their approach to technology and innovation. I'm Mike Wardle. I'm head of indices at the ZN Group, uh, responsible for the research that we undertake into um, you know, financial centers, economic centers, and looking at uh, the things that drive uh, economic development. We've got around about 45 minutes today available, um, and there'll be an opportunity for questions and comments uh, towards the end of the session, um, assuming that we've uh, <coughs> have you interested enough. Um, and I shall be sharing the presentation uh, also with Professor Michael Manelli, our executive chairman, who will have some commentary after I've uh, led with the results of the uh, index. Just by way of background, we've been researching uh, financial and commercial centers at ZN for some 15 years, uh, looking at um, centers in terms of financial centers, looking at them in terms of their green finance offering, and now looking also uh, at centers in terms of their technology and innovation. And the Smart Centers Index, uh, like the other indices we publish in this area, is a factor assessment index. It combines uh, data taken from uh, survey research, um, perception data, with hard data, um, you know, quantitative measures taken from a large and wide variety of sources, and combines those two sets of data using uh, a machine learning algorithm, uh, which looks at the correlations between uh, people's uh, perceptions and the quantitative data, and uses those correlations to, uh, to make predictions. And the Smart Centers Index itself is designed to track uh, the development of places in the world in terms of their readiness and their uh, approach to new technology applications. <clears throat> the aim here is to look at how centers are uh, developing in terms of new technology um, to help investors, governments and regulators look at technology centers um, and how attuned places are uh, to attracting innovation, uh, growth and investment. And there's three things that we uh, measure um, through the SCI, um, and we give equal weight to these dimensions. Uh, first of those is innovation support, the approach taken to regulation um, and the development of the commercial ecosystem, uh, which um, drives innovation in technology industries. Secondly, creative intensity, the extent to which technology and innovation industries are embedded in the economy of the center. So how much of the um, economic life of that center is taken up with new technology and innovative approaches. And the third is delivery capability, uh, the quality of the work that's being undertaken in that center, um, and in particular, uh, looking at how capable the center is uh, in terms of a whole range of different technology and innovation strands. Looking at the um, SCI world, we researched 131 centers when uh, developing the Smart Centers Index 2. Uh, 51 of those centers um, entered the index um, and have a score in the index and a ranking. And as you see, they are distributed um, across the world. Um, but actually, a lot of those are in uh, China, uh, the North, North America, Western Europe. Uh, there are fewer centers at present uh, in the Middle East and Africa. 
and Eastern Europe um, who feature in the Smart Centres Index. Um, so we'll continue to look at centres um, in regions which are not well represented um, to um, see if we can bring them into uh, the index and <clears throat> put them in, in a comparative position um, with, with some of the centres that are here already. So in terms of the headlines, um, New York takes first place in the index in SCI2, uh, with London dropping to second, Singapore retaining its third place. Um, there's a, still quite a cl close um, score between uh, New York and London, um, and it could go the other way. Uh, three of the top 10 places in the ranking are taken by US centres, um, and three taken by UK centres. Uh, Oxford and Cambridge have risen in this edition of SCI2 quite sharply, uh, and I'll come on to that uh, a bit later. And the leading centres are strong across all three of the SCI dimensions, uh, the innovation, support, creative intensity and delivery capability. Um, and we think that is um, important um, and it helps to show that we are um, looking at the right range uh, of features in that those which are strong are strong across the board. Um, we note that Chinese centres don't feature as strongly as we might have expected, given what we know about their technological offering. Um, but we also note that on average, uh, centres in China score lower for innovation support, that's the regulation and the ecosystem, uh, than their overall rating, which is likely to explain some of that difference. Um, and as I mentioned, on we're looking at the world map, the great majority of centres are located in North, North America, uh, Asia Pacific and Western Europe. Just looking at the people who engage with the um, survey um, that underpins the, um, the assessments that go into the SCI, uh, first of all, respondents by sector, um, about a third of those um, who respond to our survey identify their sector as technology broadly, um, whether that is fintech or um, another aspect of technology. And other respondents come from uh, the professional services at 20%, and then a whole range of uh, financial service uh, areas as well. In terms of respondents by region, uh, currently the largest group of respondents is from uh, Western Europe, uh, with the second largest at 20% from Asia Pacific. Um, this also may explain uh, why we have uh, less um, centers uh, outside Western Europe, Asia Pacific and North America, um, currently in the index, um, and we'll want to continue to publicize the Smart Centers Index survey um, across the world. Looking at the top 20 centers in the, in the second edition of SCI2, um, as I mentioned, New York, London uh, come first and second, um, followed by Singapore and Hong Kong. Um, Oxford and Cambridge rose 17 places each in this edition of the index, um, and we think there was an issue to do with clustering here, with London, Oxford and Cambridge uh, sharing um, both an economic, uh, commercial and indeed educational uh, cluster, and we will be looking at that more closely as we go forward. Um, other centres that um, do well, um, Zurich and Geneva, so Switzerland um, is performing very well. Uh, in this edition of the index um, and you know, do have a commitment um, to both uh, education in technology um, and the use of technology uh, in, in, in innovative business. 
uh, just taking the uh, individual dimensions I mentioned, the three dimensions, this table, this chart shows um, the strength across the board of the leading centers. So each of those centers in the top 20 um, have very similar performance um, at those three dimensions uh, that I mentioned. Um, and if you went uh, down the uh, index rating, uh, you might see some difference with that, with some people being stronger, for example, uh, in the creative intensity than in innovation support. Just taking a look at different areas of the world, first of all, uh, Western Europe. Um, looking at the uh, top 10 in Western Europe, um, there's the, the five centers we've mentioned that are in the top 10 across the world, and then Stockholm, Guernsey, Amsterdam, Dublin, Paris. Um, it, it, in Western Europe, we do see um, a lot of attention being paid uh, to uh, technology and innovation uh, as an economic driver. And we would expect to see uh, continued uh, strength in Europe, but also continued competition amongst Western European centers. Um, and one area where Western European centers are you know, comparatively strong is in the area of innovation support, the regulations and the development of an ecosystem uh, which encourages uh, technology and innovation uh, to take place. Going on to North America, uh, we've got three centers in the top 10. Uh, other centers um, you know, performing very well, um, and most centers in North America in the top half of, of the index. Um, Washington, D.C. and Toronto rank significantly higher uh, for delivery capability, that's the kind of quality me measurement, uh, than they do uh, in other uh, dimensions. Um, and as we move forward, I think centers will start to uh, see where their strengths and weaknesses um, lie in terms of uh, these three dimensions of the Smart Centers Index. Moving to Asia Pacific, uh, Singapore and Hong Kong uh, are in the uh, top 10, taking third and fourth place in the index. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Asia Pacific centers generally score lower in the innovation support dimension of the Smart Centers Index, um, and this will um, hold back their overall ranking um, for a little while uh, until uh, that changes. Uh, in particular, we know the strength of um, Chinese centers in terms of uh, technology development, and we might expect to see um, those centers uh, change their position in the index over time. There are uh, six centers from other parts of the world um, who are in the SCI. Uh, New Entrant Tel Aviv, um, that didn't feature in the first edition of the index, uh, enters the index in 11th place, um, which is a very strong performance. Uh, in this group, Dubai is in second place in the other regions table, uh, along with the Cayman Islands. Um, <coughs> and sorry, uh, along with the Cayman Islands, Dubai scores very highly for creative intensity. Uh, that's the, the amount of uh, work that's going on uh, in, the, in that center. Just looking briefly at the uh, areas that we use in the SCI uh, in terms of the quantitative measures, they're grouped into six areas of technology, financial services, reputation, business environment, uh, human capital, uh, and infrastructure. And under each of those areas, we have a group of uh, quantitative data measures that we use uh, to, uh, to do the, our analysis. And taking each of those in turn, we can run the uh, index model to produce uh, a different ranking 
based on the strength of centers in those six areas uh, that I mentioned. On this measure, for example, uh, Singapore actually takes uh, top place uh, in technology and for reputational business. Um, and Hong Kong uh, scores very highly in terms of human capital. And so um, centers can look across these kind of analyses um, and see where they uh, have particular strengths in relation to their uh, competitors. Um, I might pick out, for example, Tel Aviv, who we mentioned um, have performed very well as a new entrant and sit at um, eighth for human capital as opposed to 11th overall in the index. Uh, Oxford and Cambridge in the UK score very highly on technology um, and on human capital, as you might expect. Um, but there's a range of ways we can cut the data, and this gives an indication um, of how the data looks, um, looking at each of those areas of competitiveness. We also measure reputational advantage. This takes the um, the difference, if you like, between the um, the raw assessments that people are given uh, in our survey work and the rating that they receive in the overall index. Um, people with a reputational advantage um, are probably um, have a higher reputation than would be um, demonstrated by the uh, quantitative and hard data alone. So places that on this list, on the reputational advantage list, um, are need to pay some attention to the underlying uh, strength of their infrastructure and ecosystem um, to match the uh, reputation that they have. I'm going to turn over to uh, Professor Michael Manelli now for his observations um, uh, on the index uh, before we move into questions and answers. Over to you, Michael. Well, thank you very much, Mike. Um, what I really wanted to, to talk about was the uh, index in four slides, if I might. Um, just moving to sort of, you know, the first slide. Um, one of the things about any index of this nature is a tendency that people have to take the ratings as almost absolutes. That, uh, for example, congratulations, Tel Aviv, at coming in at 11, um, but that 11 is better than 12 and slightly worse than 10. And that may be true in aggregate over long periods of time. But the true use of an index like this is to get in and delve through the data because there are many, many different ways of cutting this, many, many different ways of rating centers. And we are trying to add to that knowledge rather than detract from it. And so please do not oversimplify. I think the second uh, point I'd like to make is that a lot of people question why do we focus on cities and centers? And I think some of this is due to the fact that it's hard and that we believe that it's important in terms of understanding in any of the areas, whether it's financial competitiveness, uh, greenness, or in this case, smartness, that people take a good look at the centers because this allows them to see how the parts fit together. Otherwise, you're trying to look at this on, on very much a global scale. However, it does cause a number of analytical issues, and I'll touch on a few of those if I might. Anyway, uh, one of the things that we're particularly keen on is trying to define SMART itself. SMART actually comes from an old English word, Smjorten, or in modern German, Schmerzen, uh, which, is, which actually means a pain, uh, a sharp stabbing pain. And one, when one goes into one of these centers, what you're really looking for is a, a sense of uncomfortableness. Things are moving here. They're really moving fast. And, and of course, aligned with that is excitement of some form. At the moment, 
the big hype is about the fourth industrial revolution. So if you consider the first industrial revolution in the late 1700s and 1800s uh, to be very much a sort of, of iron and steel, uh, second industrial revolution around the turn of the last century might be seen to be sort of electricity and uh, manufacturing. Uh, a third industrial revolution, arguably uh, starting in the 60s, was about com computing and connectivity. And today, the hype of the fourth industrial revolution is about the all interconnectedness of everything. Uh, so cyber capabilities integrated with the physical world on an Internet of everything. Um, and whilst there's hype to all of these things and consultancies trying to make money out of it, nevertheless, there is a grain of truth in it or it couldn't be sold. And what we are seeing is intense amounts of integration. And that integration is in many ways eroding the concept of a city center being the place for innovation and eroding the concept of a cluster even because it is now very much global. I remember when I began doing scientific research in the 70s in a number of different countries, people would talk about the best research in that country, uh, the best in-car uh, navigation systems in Britain. Uh, today, people would laugh at that. They would want the best in-car navigation system in the world. Um, so everybody is out there looking for a competitive advantage, but it's difficult to see if the, how the advantage is for you. And on this index, we're hoping to explore how best to exploit new technology. In some ways, I'm a bit uncomfortable with that word exploit. It's about how do we use this to achieve some type of social and economic good. And to do that, we need to look at how people in these various centers promote and regulate growth. So on the next slide, I'd like to just touch on something that um, oddly comes out very strongly in the data. You might say I'd assumed it, uh, but in fact, as you dig into the data, it's very, very clear that education is the one thing uh, if you had to pick anything that matters. Uh, and that is particularly oddly higher education. And that's probably due to two things. Uh, the need for a locally balanced economy anyway, so most education money to do, but at the top end of the smart centers, what you're truly looking at is a, a mobile tertiary and postgraduate educational capability to do some of the outstanding work in technology. Uh, and the reason that this slide, which is fairly familiar um, to many of you, is important is that just looking at the rankings of the number of universities in the top 20, you immediately get the 10 top smart centers. So all of the smart centers in the top 10 are in the top 10 on technology education, an extremely strong correlation. The second thing which Mike touched upon in his uh, introduction was the ranking of China. Uh, again, less than 15 years ago, China was nowhere in this table. And so whilst China may be at the moment, in our opinion, uh, rated a little bit uh, less than where we would place it. It's pretty clear as Chinese universities continue to move into the top 10 that China's uh, China's positioning and the position of various Chinese centers will rise. So we then turn, I, I think, to what you might call two types of strategies for success. Uh, the first is very much the economic. Um, this is a tough one. Policymakers face a lot of hard decisions and decisions in this space are harder, uh, in my opinion, than they are in financial services. Financial services is largely about providing base infrastructure, 
uh, fair and open markets and uh, and really a, a decent amount of sensible regulation. And most places can develop a financial center of some substance without too much difficulty. But the economic strategies in innovation are much more difficult to discern uh, and much more difficult to prove. And we have a whole variety of books on the subject, uh, ranging from uh, Terence Keeley's Economic Laws of Scientific Research, arguing for a very open and libertarian area, to Mariana Mazzucata's work at UCL, where she believes that much of this is uh, really state-driven. Um, our views on this are, are fairly neutral or agnostic, um, but it is clear that, as I said earlier, education matters, so does regulation, uh, so does the financial investment structure. Uh, it's very clear as well that if your roads are crumbling and the plumbing isn't working, you're probably not really all that excited about high-end science, so you need world-class infrastructure. And very finally, uh, science and technology, at least as much, if not more than financial services, require, requires the free flow of information and ideas. So those are all the, the sort of various economic strategies uh, that one can pull together. And I think at the moment we are suffering from the uh, from the suffix tech. Everybody's putting tech onto things. So we have fintech, health tech, reg tech, ed tech, uh, etc. And I do think this makes it very, very difficult for policymakers because it's, because it's difficult to see that any of these techs have got specific regulatory differences other than perhaps fintech, um, where there is a, 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 a lot of difficulty in its relation with uh, direct consumer protection, but also with macroprudential regulation. So um, this is an area where an index like this can be extremely helpful to policymakers being able to dive in and see the correlations and see what others are doing and what has actually made them move up or down in the index. The second uh, sort of area in terms of strategies for success is, of course, the locational one. Uh, and this one is an interesting distinction. And the real distinction probably between the two is there on the uh, on the left, both the lifestyle offering and the collaboration culture. Uh, again, in both areas, we've all been to cities or centers where it is pretty clear that the lifestyle offering is good. This has often been when people talk about Oxford or Cambridge or some of the American campuses, like uh, I might single out something like Princeton. People believe that these are very, very comfortable places to live, the ivory tower or ivy covered uh, syndromes. Um, secondly, of course, is the type of culture that you have. And uh, I'm afraid it's very difficult for us to put uh, numbers on this. But I think as human beings, we've all seen cultures where people collaborate and we've seen cultures where people uh, hoard onto things, uh, don't talk openly, etc. Uh, and again, these uh, collaboration cultures can be fostered to some degree uh, in the way that workspaces are designed, in the way that the, the, the built environment is functioning, in the way in which uh, connectivity and operations are there, and in fact, just in terms of general support. Uh, I have had a number of people who've left London in financial services remark that the collaboration culture in financial services in London is extremely high. Uh, as evidence, they frequently point to the number of free events that they can attend and the ability to talk to competitors about what's going on in their business and for the competitors to give them reasonably straight answers. And the same applies to science, uh, to technology and to education. So we will see these things and they can be to some degree fostered by economic policies and locational strategies 
although, as I said earlier, are, are extremely tough to measure. So I'd just like to end uh, my contribution by pointing out that uh, please don't use the index in a simplistic way. It is not about a single number. Uh, please do look at the index as a resource that you can dive into and learn from. And with that, Mike, um, I'd like to hand back to you, if I may. Uh, Michael, thank you very much indeed. Um, so that was the end of our uh, presentation time. Um, and thank you, Michael, for those interesting sort of reflections and uh, the commentary uh, on the results that we see in SCI2. Um, we do have some time for questions, um, and we have some questions come in. Um, if you do have a question, you can type it into um, the uh, little box you see on the dashboard on the right, the GoToWebinar dashboard, uh, where there's a question um, a question part. You can uh, drop a question to us. But I'm going to start with um, a question we've had in, which I think, Michael, follows on from your discussion of strategies, which is the extent that um, smartness is a tactical um, issue and how far it's a strategic issue. And um, do they have equal weighting in terms of you know, uh, the tactical and strategic parts of, um, you know, particularly city and uh, financial centre and the commercial centre uh, planning? Well, I believe that the, that smart can be very strategic. We, as Mike said, this is the second edition of the index, but we have been studying this uh, area for about 15 years. And not least, we've been sort of forced to do it because um, the technical development has been moving uh, and more separated from some of the economic and center development. And I think that will continue. Um, the difficulty, I, I believe, is how do you separate your activities from sort of just general global trends? Uh, and again, we, we see similar issues when we look at, for example, financial centers and trade. There's an extremely high correlation uh, between trade and trade volumes and uh, the development of financial centers for obvious reasons. Finance, uh, to, to a great degree, certainly international finance is there to facilitate global trade and investment. So one would expect that. In this sector, it's a little bit harder to discern. So can one, for example, be a smart center without any reliance or insignificant reliance on the rest of the world and I would contend not at all you're very very dependent on global trends nobody can do it alone so that that's kind of one element uh, to is it uh, strategic or tactical um, I think the second thing on the tactical is uh, in this area development and advancement are slow we've seen for example a number of people from the west coast of uh, America, sort of the Silicon Valley, uh, Californian uh, tech, techno mafia move about 10 years ago heavily into green and they have made significant advancements. Uh, one would easily point me to uh, Tesla or Elon Musk's work on, on, um, on batteries. However, uh, that advancement has not been at the pace of normal, uh, normal computing technology. So smart is a slow grind, not, not a fast one. And so you do need to stick the course. And if one looks at strategy as being long-term and tactics being short-term, and I know a lot of people out there will, would haul me up on, on that distinction, but many people do make it that way. This is certainly a long-term approach. Uh, thank you, Michael. Um, 
And I think just uh, as I talk to uh, people across the world um, who are you know, based in uh, cities looking at their development, um, you know, they are certainly looking at these things as to how they can get some competitive advantage um, for strategic, uh, you know, the strategic growth of the center um, by taking a, a short-term tactical approach as well. Um, Bob McDowell asks, um, to what extent are uh, places like Oxford and Cambridge catalysts uh, for, for other centers to achieve smart status rather than smart centers themselves? And I think that this is something that, as I mentioned in my presentation, um, we'll want to uh, do a bit more work on, um, because the answer is probably both that um, having centers of academic excellence, uh, such as Oxford and Cambridge universities and the spin-off industries that come from um, the concentration of scientific activity there, um, certainly will help um, places like London, where the money uh, center is in the UK, um, in terms of the, um, you know, the development of innovation and technology. Um, but equally, Oxford and Cambridge have quite successful, uh, successfully uh, developed their own, um, you know, albeit small scale, um, but, but highly innovative uh, technology and innovation industries, whether that's uh, AI and creating chips in Cambridge, um, or whether that is the biotech um, centers that have grown up around both universities. Um, so I think the answer is, is actually a bit of both, that um, you know, the closeness to a major financial center means that they do have access to investment um, and the, the, the markets that come with that. Uh, but equally, uh, those two cities have been successful in spinning off their own um, te te technical, technological industries uh, in their local area. Michael, did you want to add anything to that? Well, yeah, I, I think uh, Bob's got a great question there because he's really putting his finger on a sore spot, or should I say a smart spot? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and he's quite right that we as analysts are having great difficulty analyzing cities full stop. Uh, and this is a particular element of it. So uh, let, let me just uh, to take, for example, a look at Princeton. So Princeton is in New Jersey. It's not in New York. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's an hour or so from New York if you if you speed a little bit. Uh, is it part of the New York cluster? Is it not? Um, it's a great place to live. One can have one's views on New York City. But uh, and, and so where do we where do we draw the line here? To some degree, if you build a a a wonderful house and a great home. You'll have no trouble. Everybody will want to move in. <laughs> but part of that is is how close that home is to other facilities. And it, it's a tough one there. How often does an academic, and I don't mean to focus just on academics because it's technologists, et cetera, need to go into New York if they live in Princeton? If they were in Minnesota, would this bother them or Iowa or something? How, how much is that? It's very difficult to put a, a number on that. And whatever the number is, it's an average, not the range, the very wide range of an academic who might go to the theater once every other year versus some academic who feels they need to buzz in and see the relations. Uh, so we, we have a, 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 lot of, a lot of difficulty on that. Um, returning to Bob's point, though, on Oxford and Cambridge, um, these are particularly problematic, uh, prestigious universities with extremely high reputations. Um, but I was actually living and working and developing a tech business in Cambridge in uh, roughly 1981. Um, so this is before the science park and all were successful. And I can attest that the town-gown divide was extremely strong. And there was very little interaction that built up many of the tech businesses in Cambridge. Uh, what did happen was that people had moved there 
decided to move into business having graduated, maybe didn't have that great a relationship with the university, but they were still located there. Now, Cambridge, uh, towards the late 80s and early 90s, began to take advantage of that uh, quite smartly, but, uh, but it wasn't quite the way that it evolved. And to a large degree, the reason that I was located there was because of London. It was an hour from London, but I was running a business that required a lot of space. Space in those days in Cambridge was far cheaper uh, than in central London. So I was based there because of London, not at all because of Cambridge. And I must say, uh, during many years of uh, running that business in uh, cartography, laser line following, digitizing, all sorts of things that the university could have contributed to, we had no contributions from Cambridge University in those days. Uh, another thing that's often unremarked, and uh, this is again where the university league tables cause difficulties, because Oxford and Cambridge are numbers one, two, and three, or whatever they are. Harvard, I think, is one, so blah, blah, blah. But UCL is fifth. UCL is fifth in the world, is very much a London university, and in total, uh, much larger than Oxford and Cambridge combined. Uh, and in addition, London has uh, some 45. Uh, universities, again, compared to Oxford and Cambridge. So it's difficult to see where the cluster ends and, and where it starts. And I would contend that we're going to continue to do analysis in this space. And there is a lot of actual what is called cluster analysis in statistics, which has not produced any conclusive results. But we would like to figure out, uh, should they be seen as separate centers? Should they be seen as satellites? Or should we just forget it and kind of call it the southeast of England innovation cluster. Uh, thank you, Michael. And that, 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 that leads nicely into um, a question we've also had, which is about which country within the country or region, how much interdependency is there between centers, um, which is exactly the point you're making. And I think you could make the same uh, argument as we've just been talking about in terms of the southeast of England, um, in terms of you know, parts of China, um, or you know, parts of Asia, and, and the fact that we have uh, groups of centres uh, which are close to each other uh, probably adds to that whole question of you know, the creative intensity, you know, how much technology takes place in the centre, but also um, the question of quality, the delivery capability, um, because you know, people will move around uh, between businesses and between centres that are close to each other in a particular region or country. Um, and generate new ideas and work work with each other. Um, but again, in terms of our analysis, um, the thing we are uh, struggling with a bit is that um, location is becoming less and less important to the way that you do business. So the fact we're on a webinar this morning um, with people joining us from you know, other parts of the world, including Japan this morning, um shows us that location is not uh, quite as important as it might have been once um and you know, we'll continue to try to do analysis on this whole question of whether being in you know co-located whether in a region or a country uh, is as important as being well connected uh, and so that whole question of co-location against well uh, good connection i think is one that will continue to um, be a focus of our interest as we take our analysis forward uh, well, any last thoughts on that yeah, well, quite a few, actually. Uh, one of the things to me is where centers are very bound nationally is on that policy framework area. The national policies bind the centers together in interesting ways. Second thing I'd point out is pairings and other groupings. Uh, it's quite interesting, the, the, the question before this one uh, at Oxford and Cambridge, 
Oxford and Cambridge have resisted uh, quite a bit uh, pairing with each other. There's uh, much muted for 50 years has been a corridor between the two because policymakers see the two as uh, as binding and potentially stronger if they were together. And the two have really not shown that much interest in having a corridor between them. They'd rather have the stronger quarters down to London. So uh, some interesting pairings there at the university level. But then if you move to city level, it gets really interesting. So San Francisco has some intense pairings, interestingly, with Gujarat. Um, so you've got a kind of the ability to develop a business in America uh, and then use uh, an Indian center for outsourcing. Uh, similar things happened between Boston and Texas in the uh, very early days of computing in the 70s and 80s, leading to companies like Dell, for example, thriving. So Boston was sort of the brains and Texas was sort of the build. So we had this, uh, we've had these pairings in a, a third center, uh, sorry, a third country I'd like to to single out in a, in a very admiring way is Switzerland, where we saw Switzerland turning up brilliantly in our education, which again, for a country of 9 million is fantastic. But you're also looking at Geneva and Zurich, which don't pair very often together. Geneva pairing the, very strongly with the Francophone countries and Zurich pairing very strongly with the Teutonic countries. So ETH is a renowned institution as is the University of Geneva. And so you see these sorts of abilities to develop pairings around the world. And if anything, that too uh, causes difficulty for us. So uh, returning to the question within uh, the country and region, how much interdependency is there between centers? The answer is very few centers, I can't think of any center, has actually grown alone, but the pairings may be uh, nationally, maybe locally, or maybe internationally. Uh, and I'm looking to see kind of more of these almost uh, triplets of clusters in areas uh, like biotech or drones or space or, or electronics or quantum, et cetera. Thank you very much, Michael. Um, well, I think that's, um, that's all the questions we've had in. Um, and so thank you very much indeed uh, to all those who've participated and um, been with us this morning for the launch. Uh, we'll be looking forward to the launch of the Smart Centers Index 3 uh, next June um, and would encourage you to take the Smart Centers Index survey if you haven't already done so um, and to share it amongst your colleagues and friends uh, across the world. Um, we will be um, <clears throat> breaking up for Christmas, I guess, in a couple of days' time. Um, and so um, as well as thanking you for your attendance today, um, and many of you for your attendance at webinars uh, throughout 2020. Um, I'd like to add um, you know, my best wishes to all of you uh, for the holiday season, for Christmas and the new year. Um, and it just leaves me to thank um, uh, Michael Manelli, uh, Executive Chairman of ZN for his contribution this morning, um, and to say uh, thank you very much and um, goodbye uh, for today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike, and all best wishes of the season.